I've loved this series. I love every series with him, mainly because we get to listen to Sarah a lot, who is a genius. Uh, but I think that I'm loving this series because it's giving us some real um, practical depth and some things that we can really go after and grapple with. It's not just kind of vain concept that we can kind of ascribe to, things that kind of sit out there and, and are things that we might think about, but they're things that we can take hold of and, and run with and start to begin to apply to our life as we're thinking about what it is to, to influence the culture, to, to live fully alive. And I think that whole concept of, of living fully alive is really about, about not becoming something that we're not, but actually embracing who we really are. And actually being able to attach to that a sense of energy and passion and focus and priority that actually causes us to live differently. You know, for so many of us, I think we kind of wander through seasons of life with, with lots of questions. And questions are okay, because questions take us on a journey. But ultimately, those defining things that we begin to start to say, no, that's really who I am. I, I've gone through a journey of discovery, and I've allowed the light and life of God's word. I've allowed Father God to speak to me, to affirm my identity, to, to, to be part of this journey of discovering what am I on this planet for, and what is the purpose and plan that God has for me. And in, in that journey of discovery... I love the fact that actually as a community, confidence begins to come, right? One person agrees with me. And there's this sense of like, actually in, in our journey of faith, what does it look like for us to live fully confident in who we are, fully alive to the purposes and plans of God for each of our lives? And to discover that in the concept of family, to discover that for myself, and then begin to actually put rubber on the road, get my skin in the game and start to think, all right, this is actually what life is all about. I'm not living in the shadows. I'm not living uh, the kind of life that is hidden uh, or, or is in some way a reflection of, of any fear or anticipation, but I'm confident in who I am, confident in who God's called me to be, and then I begin to start to make a dent in the world for God, to love the world around me, to bring life and to bring flourishing and to bring people into a brand new relationship with Jesus because my life becomes a reflection of who God is as a father who loves his children. So today I want to start to look quite um, specifically at the, at the concept of how we influence culture. And the culture is a very broad term. It is, it is what we experience wherever we find ourselves in life. It can be the microclimate of a culture that you work in or your home. It can be the, the grand scheme of the culture of our city, perhaps even our nation, perhaps even the world that we live in. And there are cultural de defining moments that we live in that we get to observe, we get to understand, and then we get to live in, knowing that ultimately, actually, we own the culture of the kingdom of heaven. It's in us. It's who we are. And from that place, we get to influence, we get to infuse, we get to reflect the beauty of who God is and his kingdom to the world around us. So I want to talk about influencing culture. So I want to start in that passage I mentioned in 2 Kings 2. And I feel like it, it, this is a story in the Old Testament, but I think it, it creates a bit of a prophetic picture of of the church, of us. And so I want to read it and dive into it for a few moments, and then I want to um, reflect on, um, on some very specific things that I think are going to help us as we consider how is my life going to influence culture. Actually, why don't we pray? Father, I thank you that you're here with us. I thank you that, that we get to experience your presence in worship, and it gets to define and strengthen um, who we are in you. And that might be, God, that we are on, a, on the very beginning of our journey of, of following you, Jesus. But for, for many of us, we've been walking with you, Jesus, for years, and we continually need to hear your voice. 
We continually need to encounter your presence, that it would be the place from which we live from, knowing who you are and who we are in the light of the beauty of who you are. So help us to experience that afresh this morning, but more than that, God, help us to express that beauty to the world around us, that we would bring life, we'd bring flourishing, we would bring transformation to lives, people, structures, situations, wherever we find ourselves, that we would influence people with the heart and the beauty of who you are in Jesus' name. So let me read this uh, passage to you. The, concept, uh, the, the context of this passage is Elisha, who a, is a prophet, um, he's in Jericho as a city, and he, he gets called together by, uh, by the leaders of the city, by the people, and they describe the situation of Jericho to him, and, and then this, uh, this thing happens, so we'll read it together. Verse 19, now, the people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. All right, just pause there for a second. So the whole concept of this is it starts with us understanding that Jericho as a city finds its very life, finds it, its very uh, success based on, on, on where the city was situated. Now, <clears throat> cities that were beginning to be developed in those days uh, would, have, would have thought through very strategic reasons as to why a, a, a group of people would, would set a, up location, would begin to build house, begin to build infrastructure of a city. The, 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 the concept of where it was geographically was really important. And so key things like, <clears throat> was, this, was this particular area going to be well fortified? Was it, was it going to protect them from their enemies? Was it, was it going to be good fertile land <clears throat> excuse me, for agriculture? Uh, was, it going to be, uh, was it going to be on key transport routes? Were there, were there people that were going to be coming by? Was trade going to be an issue if, if a particular location was good or bad? But one of the key distinctive, and again, it's attached to um, why a city would be in, in a location was its water source. Now, the water source was key to the thriving of a city because it was connected to its ability to have a healthy agricultural system. It was obviously connected to the ability to be able to draw water for drinking, for, sub, uh, for, a, for a city, for a people, for a community to have that resource of water. And so a, a very key essential in wherever a city would be established, where a people would be, uh, would be formed, would be around the concept of the water. And as we see right at the very beginning of this story, uh, the people of the city of Jericho are coming to Elisha and they're raising a huge issue. And they're unpacking this issue in the context of this, that the water is bad and therefore the land is unproductive. So we're seeing this connection between a city which needs its water source, and not just any old water source, this water source needs to be healthy in order for the land to be productive, right? We're all on board with this, right? Water feeds the land, the land is then able to be productive, um, crops can grow, um, cattle can, be, can graze, all of that kind of stuff. Obviously I'm a farmer, you can tell that from my key description of what's going on here. Right, let's carry on. Verse 20. So, um, so this is what Elisha responds to the leaders of the city. He says, bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought that to him. And this is what Elisha did, verse 21. Then he went to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word, of Elisha, uh, the word Elisha had spoken. So you've got this unhealthy water. The water is bad. Elisha, who's the prophet, the leader in that particular, particular moment, gets called upon by the people to create a solution 
and the solution is connected to the very future success of the city. And Elisha says, go get me a bowl. I want it to be a new bowl, and I want you to fill it with salt. And Elisha does this unique thing. We don't necessarily know why, but he goes to the spring. And ultimately, what a spring is, is, is the source of the water. So Elisha takes his bowl, he takes his salt, and he goes to the very source of the water, and he places the salt in the water. The water is healed, the water is, is made well, and the land is therefore healed. Right? Can you see what's happened? Here's the thing. I think this is a prophetic picture for us. It's not just some random story in the Old Testament. It speaks to something, I think, of the significance of of what it is to bring life and bring flourishing. And again, this connects us back to this journey we've been on as a church, thinking about that very first commandment that we find in Genesis 1, which is to bring flourishing and life to the world around us, right? This cultural mandate that we have, which is to, which is to build civilizations, bring life, bring solutions to problems, that actually is the, the people who reflect creator God to the world around us, that we get to be the ones that bring life, And so back into this story, Elisha is taking this new bowl, something new, a new way of thinking. And he's taking salt, which is a, we know biblically is a bit of a, it's a bit of a picture of who we are, that actually Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. And he takes that salt and he places it at the, the spring, the very source of the city's life. And then he throws it in and that, that place that was once bad and brought unhealth and, and caused the, the, the land to be not fertile, that place is then healed and flourishing and life comes. I think it's a prophetic picture for us. I think it helps us understand that actually that, that we as salt, as the Bible tells us, that, that actually we are to be placed at the very sources of our city so that we can bring life and so our city can flourish. And this is what I see in the cultural mandate, what, I, what we've been talking about as a church family, that actually there's a uniqueness to the call of God on your life, which is not just about how do I transactionally bring people into a new relationship with Jesus. I mean, that's the, the, the gospel uh, good news story, which is on our lives and in our lives and is to be showed and shared with people around us, is absolutely the great commission. We own it, we live it, we walk it out, we know that that's God's call on our life to introduce people to Jesus. But there's a big story picture of God's people and his kingdom coming to earth, which we find in Genesis 1, and that is that we are called to bring flourishing, to bring life to the systems, to the structures, to the infrastructure of the world around us, culture. We're supposed to influence culture. And I think this picture in 2 Kings is really helpful because it, it effectively, it calls us to recognize that, that, that actually there needs to be a new way of doing it. And I think that, what we're experiencing in the church today is like that new bowl. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of doing things. It's a new way of, of understanding what even, what even the collective gathering of the salt would even look like. I think that's what we've been trying to explore here is, is God, we don't just want to keep doing church for the next four score years and ten. Like, that's, like if, that's what we're, if that's what we're all here doing, like let's stop now. Because I, I don't want to be setting up these drapes any longer. Like, if this is what it's all about, meeting in a, in a gymnasium for a couple of hours on a Sunday morning, if that's the culmination or the pinnacle of what we're called to do or experience as followers of Jesus, let's, like, like pack it all up now, take a chair home with you, anything you want, feel free. 
TVs would probably be helpful somewhere. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if that's, this is it, like, let's stop now. But actually, if we can connect ourselves to the very purpose and plan that God has on our lives to influence and bring transformation and bring life to the culture around us, then my life beyond these four walls starts to make a real difference. My life beyond these walls starts to have real purpose. My life beyond these walls, wherever I find myself, whether it be in family, in workplace, uh, whether it be at the school gate, wherever I find myself, my life starts to make sense in a whole new different way. Because the collective new bowl that we experience here as a family is purposed to take salt, you and I, to the very sources of culture, the very sources of the water so that the land can be healed. I believe that your life and my life as salt is, is, is purposed by God to bring transformation. And so as soon as we elevate our thinking that, gosh, I'm not just simply here to, to not engage with culture, to hold on to my faith if I can do, to try and do a good little bit of good in the world. If we start to elevate our thinking to the fact that actually there is a, there is a, um, a transformational nature to my life as salt that is supposed to be positioned significantly and, and strategically into the source of the water of this city, relationships, neighborhoods, wherever it is that you find yourself, that your life as salt is placed into those places, we start to realize, oh, there's something far bigger on my life. There's something far bigger going on around me that I get to be involved in. And this new bowl, this new salt, our lives, what the orientation of our community actually looks like begins to start to make real sense and real impact. I am encouraged the more church leaders I get to spend time with, um, we, uh, Zach, who was here last week, and, and a bunch of us, we went on this little leadership tour. A couple, of, we did um, four or five different cities around the UK, met with a few hundred leaders of churches. And just began to, again, tell stories and began to think about how, how it is that we as the church could begin to be orientated outwards. And again, not in an organizational um, way, but in an, in an organic way, whereby you're not waiting for the church to figure out how we get you out there, but you're realizing there's something on my life that needs to be taken and placed into the source of this city somewhere. That I'm supposed to bring life, I'm supposed to bring flourishing, I'm supposed to bring healing to the places and the spaces where God's got me. And that's how we start to begin to realize that we are absolutely called to influence culture. So I think I, I want to look at... Um, I want to look at two very distinct things. I want to look at how our lives are postured and how do we participate. Because I think if you think about it like this, if I'm, if I'm stood here, if we're all stood here in church this Sunday and, and my life is a representation of God's love to the world around me, that I carry the culture of the kingdom of heaven in me, I carry the, the, uh, the, the, the beauty of, of the love of God in and on my life, that I am a representation of the kingdom. I've got to figure out somehow how my life is postured and how I participate in this journey of beginning to influence culture. It's almost like we've got to begin to build some bridges, hence why I put this up here. This visually for you today is a bridge. And so it's how do I take myself from a situation where I am, I am life, I am God's love, I carry the kingdom, I am supernatural, I, 
I am who God's created to me, me to be. And in the confines of the church, we all feel warm and fuzzy when we get together and we, we know you're loved by God, I'm loved by God, but what on earth does that make a difference to the world around me? And so building this bridge and figuring out how do I posture my life? How do I begin to think about taking that journey, beginning to start to build a bridge, a conduit of life between who I am and who we are to the city out there? And when I say city, I'm not just talking about the banking system or the railway system or the medical system or the education system. Transport. I don't know why I went with... Uh, anyway. I'm not just talking about the, the systems of the city because many of you are sitting there and go, well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not placed in the source of the city in any of those distinct big ways. This is not a concept of bigger equals better. It's a concept of where is my life positioned? And let's be obedient there. I was having this conversation with James the other day, and we were just reflecting. James, a couple of years ago, in the, light of the, in the light of the bomb, created a book, and it had a massive influence on the city. Began to uh, got James the opportunity to be in rooms, sharing about God, sharing about his life, his faith. That's amazing. It had an amazing influence. But if we all think that we're all supposed to like, oh, well, what's my book? What am I going to do that's going to have, like, I sat in a room with Andy Burnham and James, and Andy Burnham on three occasions deferred to James's... Uh, James's opinion on something. I'm like, oh, James has influence because he wrote the book and because I'm like, oh, maybe I should write a book or do something. It's like, no, right. So let's just all be clear. It's not about writing a book or doing something on a large scale. Bigger is not necessarily better. Obedience and faithfulness to where God has has placed you as salt is, right? So this is the bridge. We've got to figure out how am I going to track? How am I going to build something into the infrastructure of my life where I'm taking the very life of the kingdom and I'm beginning beginning to step into the culturally defining impact that I have? There are a couple of things that I think are worth highlighting. And if you go, if you look at... Um, if you look at the New Testament, you start to begin to see there are, there are different ways in which religious groups um, around when Jesus was around, religious groups began to deal with the culture they were in. The reality is uh, any um, group, religious group, uh, at the time when Jesus was on the earth, was confronted by the fact that the dominant culture was Rome. It was the Roman Empire. And so, uh, so these religious groups found themselves in a situation where their lives were a, was, were a cultural anomaly. They were culturally marginalized. They were the minority within a much, more, a much bigger culture, and that was the culture of Rome. And that was the culture that was defining what life looked like, what business looked like, what faith looked like. It was the overarching culture. It's really interesting to see how different groups, religious groups at the particular time when Jesus was alive, began to deal with how they were going to either engage or not engage with the culture they were living in. The first group was the Sadducees. And again, we're thinking about these particular groups as we go through them for the next few minutes. We're thinking about them in the, in the, in the context of how were they postured and how did they participate. And there's some things that we can learn from how they did it and how these other groups did it that will help us in our journey from how do I build a bridge? How is my life postured to bring the life of the kingdom so that I can build a bridge so my life becomes a conduit for the kingdom of heaven and I begin to influence culture? So the first one was the Sadducees. This group leveraged their influence through compromise. That's what the Sadducees did. They were a small minority religious group. And in the context of this overarching dominant Roman Empire, their tactic and their posture was compromise. 
is all about getting their own way and developing power and influence and control. And they did that fundamentally by undermining their own faith. They did that by by reneging or walking back from some of their own deeply held convictions so that they would fit in, so that they would blend in. And so if, if you think about it like this, if the Sadducees are over here as a religious group and they're thinking about how on earth am I going to influence culture or how am I going to even exist as a religious minority in this overarching dominant, basically their tactic was this, come on over, influence me so that this looks like that. Right? So there was actually no need to build a bridge. In fact, they probably just hung out and sat around and just figured out how are we going to look like everything else. And so for the Sadducees, it was this whole concept of we're not here to build a bridge. We're here to just blend. We're here to fit in. We're in it for the easy ride. We don't want to stick out. And their posture was compromise. And their participation was let's just blend in. And so actually the concept of building a bridge so that their lives could, could create a healthy influence for culture was, was null and void because ultimately anything that defined them culturally didn't really matter. And it was like, actually, we're going to push that to the, the edges and we're just going to look like the culture of Rome. It's an interesting one to elevate in our minds because I wonder whether for some of us that's maybe where we find ourselves. Do we maybe think, you know what, actually this living with Jesus and becoming like Jesus, this being a disciple of Jesus, following him, becoming more like him, it's going to make me stick out. That's, that's a big cost. It's a big cost in my workplace. What if I'm rejected? I've got a little bit of fear associated with that. What if I'm not understood? What if? And maybe we position ourselves a little bit at times like, like the Sadducees. We're actually, we're not really interested in building a bridge into influencing culture and stepping into the purpose that God has created us for. We're not really interested in that because ultimately, it's kind of a little bit easier just to blend in. It's kind of just a little bit easier to maybe uh, renege on some of the things that we know are a part of the culture of the kingdom of heaven and who we really are. And we put those things to, to the side and we just say, we just need to look like everybody else. So the posture and the participation it becomes one of, of compromise and blending in. What about the Pharisees? They're the ones that we often hear about in the New Testament. But the, the Pharisees had this posture and this participation that was, that was based around just being separate. You know, this group's strategy of engagement was to elevate themselves through their behavior, through the keeping of the letter of the law. And it was all about how can we find some sort of um, <clears throat> uh, separatist type sense of who we are that creates a distance and a disconnect from everyone else. So everyone else knows who we are, but we do it through legalism and we do it through judgment. And actually, one of the things that the Pharisees were, you know, obviously referred to was basically like the religious police of the day. You know, and, and ultimately, that, that achieving of that high status by keeping all the law and keeping the letter of the law and being really um, hyper-religious about it, and then it was all about achieving a certain position above everybody else. And in the wake of this, this Rome's, uh, you know, moral slide and the, um, 
and the reality that, that cultural decline began to happen and, and morals began to erode, it, it was the Pharisees that separated themselves became pious and became religious. And it was, all, it was all about how do we set ourselves above everybody else. And so if you think about it in terms of the Pharisees, the, the goal for the Pharisees wasn't, wasn't as a religious group, how can we bring influence by, by posturing ourselves to bring life and to bring encouragement and to bring, bring um, the reality of, of what it is that we have as, as followers of the law to bring life to people, but it was actually how do I manipulate that so that I am over people, so I can control people. That's how they enacted power. And so really it was far more about not building a bridge, but it was far more... It was far more about getting as high as they could so that they could speak down, so that they can hold themselves up over and above anybody else, so that they could effectively say, you are beneath me and I get influence and power and control and I ultimately feel better about myself because I'm over you. And it was never about how do we build a bridge. It was never about influencing culture from that place of, of love. It was always about influencing and bringing control through, um, through judgment. How many of us sit in that place? How many of us have actually maybe stirred up a fairly um, judgmental attitude to people around us in our workplaces, in our streets that aren't living according to our standard? How many of us have created a disconnect and a separation because we'd never say it like this, but our lives are just better because we're living better. We're making better choices. How many of us have postured ourselves in that in that pharisaical way where we bring judgment to the people around us, either verbally or just in our own hearts. Third group, the third religious group with the Essenes. This was a religious group who, <coughs> who, couldn't be, who couldn't bear to be anywhere near. They couldn't bear to be anywhere near uh, the sin or deprivation or uh, just everything that was beginning to start to infuse through the, Roman, uh, through the Roman culture. And so their posture and their practice was re- retreat. It was, let's separate ourselves completely. And so they removed themselves physically. They moved into the wilderness. And by escaping any potential engagement with the culture, they thought that that was the best way for them to live. It was create sanctuaries well away from any influence, well away from any sin, well away from any Roman influence. And it was retreat. And so for them, it wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, here we are as a, as a, as a religious group and, and thinking about our engagement with culture over there. It was actually, we don't want to build a bridge. In fact, better still, let's burn the bridge. I'm not going to burn the bridge this morning. Let's burn the bridge. Let's keep ourselves separate. Let's hide out. Let's just be with people that think like us and, and sound like us and probably dress like us and probably go to the same place every week called a sanctuary. Here's the thing that I'm convinced that one of the most dangerous postures that that we as the church can hold towards the culture around us is is to find ourselves in what we would consider the safe sanctuary of our churches, the safe sanctuaries of the communities that we so beautifully and richly create. And it's a fine line, isn't it? Because we, again, we as a church, we would talk very clearly about we want to create a home and a family and a community here. 
It's part of what we actually, as family, get to speak to our city about. It's, the, it's the, actually the life that we find and we cultivate here. It's actually the, the biblical principle that actually the, the people will know who Jesus is by the way we love one another. And so we build communities that, that, are, that are connected, that are cohesive, that are built on loving relationships. That's what our family is all about. But it's, it's not a big leap to think, oh, we're pretty self-sufficient. This is pretty comfortable. This is pretty easy. We could do this until Jesus comes again or we die. Like, we could do this. It's pretty simple. It's pretty comfortable. And so I wonder whether for how many of us the, the conversation about, about where my life is postured or what is the practice of my life, what, I wonder whether actually, the, that actually for some of us it's like, well, it's just a bit more comfortable if we all stick together over here. It's a bit safer. It's a... It's a dark, bad world out there, and we don't want that influencing us or our children, and then we begin to make decisions about how we live our life, and maybe even where our children hang out, and all of a sudden, we've created a situation where we're all in the wilderness together. We said it was about community, we said it was about safety, but actually, it withdrew us from the impact and the the way in which we were always purposed to be, and that is to influence culture, not be separate from it. What about the zealots? Zealots were this slightly over-the-top group, religious group. And the zealots took the view that um, if changes were going to happen, they were going to take it by force. So they were not the ones that shrunk back. They were the ones that stepped forward. And for them, it was about adopting influence by any means necessary. It usually meant violence. It usually meant that ultimately that their, that their posture and their participation in the engagement of the Roman culture was more about killing people. It was looked like terrorism. And basically, the bridge wasn't how do we get across the culture. It was how do we use this thing as a weapon. I do go to the gym. It was how do I weaponize my life? How do I influence through bringing, uh, through bringing terror and fear? How do I bring down the principalities and the, the darkness? And how do I attack what Rome's all about? And again, it caused them to have very little influence in culture other than to bring pain, fear, and destruction. I feel like that's the, the less obvious one. I, I, as I look around the room, I, I don't see many people looking to uprise and take, take any structures down. If that's on your mind, just maybe come and have a word afterwards. Um, but here's the thing. Jesus, when he stepped into the world, he, he actually painted a very different picture about how we would bring influence to the world around us. In the way of Jesus, ultimately, he calls uh, us, as we are followers of him, to be a creative minority. And a creative minority is the way of Jesus. I could spend all day, every day, pulling out scripture, story, moments where we get an insight into Jesus, the king of the kingdom, who would demonstrate how his kingdom looks on earth. This concept of creative minority was um, coined by a rabbi. And he said this, he said, to become a creative minority is not easy because it involves maintaining strong links with the outside world while staying true to your faith. Seeking not merely to keep a sacred flame burning, but also to transform the largest society of which you are a part. This is a demanding and risk-laden choice. 
See, a creative minority realizes that actually as followers of Jesus, we absolutely get to build a bridge between who we are and who God says we are and the culture around us. We absolutely get to build a bridge that we get to posture and participate in that journey. We absolutely get to move towards people, but we have to do it in and through the way of Jesus. And this is the joy of what it is to to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus. It's simply saying, Jesus, what do you look like? What do you sound like? How do I become more like you? We've talked about this before, but the the basic concept of a disciple is actually an apprentice. It's the very two simple um, primary uh, purposes of what it is to follow Jesus. To be an apprentice of Jesus is to be with Jesus and be like him. How many of you like it when it's simple? This is the normal Christian life. Be with Jesus and be like him. Like that's what we can give the rest of our lives to. And so thinking about how Jesus postured his life and, how he, how, and his participation in bringing the very culture of the kingdom of heaven that he carried and building a bridge in his life and through his life towards the culture of the world that he was around him. What were those things that marked his life? Well, there's so many things, but these are the three things I want to land on you this morning because these are the things that we can just get going with. How many of you like it when we can walk away from church and we can say, do you know what? There's three things, it's usually three things, three things that I can just get going on straight away. I don't need to overthink it. It's not too elaborate. I don't need to go get a theology degree to figure it out. I could just get going. And these are the three things that I think we could own this morning as we posture our lives, as we begin to say, if I'm going to participate in this journey of bringing influence to the world around me for Jesus, what is it going to look like? And I think it looks like serving. I think it looks like loving. And I think it looks like the supernatural. Serving, loving, and the supernatural. See, we could go to story after story where we see the life of Jesus laid down for somebody else. I mean, we, we know the, the, the big picture story of Jesus. We know he was a man who laid down his life for us, that he took upon sin that he went to a cross, that he lived a life of perfection we could never live. He died a death that we could never die, but he rose again. And in that victory of beating death, he made a way for my sin to be dealt with. All the things I would ever get wrong, he made a way. And the beauty of Jesus is his whole life, his whole message, who he is, was an act of service. And again, you could go through moment after moment in Scripture, story after story, where you see Jesus' life with the disciples washing their feet. You could see it time after time when when he thought about um, and had compassion for the crowds, and he served them with food. Like there were these moments when (coughs) Jesus acknowledges the beauty of humanity and suffering and pain that's in in front of him, and doesn't back away, but leans in and serves Like, what does it look like for our lives to to be postured and to participate in the story that's unfolding around us with the lens of, I just get to serve? Like, how many of you could even think of moments this week when you're like, oh, that was an opportunity for me to serve? Anybody? That was an opportunity. That thing, that relationship, that, that... that question that somebody asked me, that, that opportunity that was in front of me, it's just an opportunity for me to be like Jesus and to serve. What about the beauty of being, being postured and participating through the lens of loving? Again, they're closely connected because I don't think you can really serve out of a deep, deep sense of duty and obligation without actually just being filled with love. 
And this is the beauty of, the, uh, of where the Bible tells us that we get to love because we are first loved. It's a, it's a reflective pattern in our lives that we encounter the love of God and then we love the world around us. But what would it look like if actually in our life, you know, we, again, we could go to story after story, the, the woman at the well, the times when Jesus healed, um, healed the blind man, when he, when he stopped for Zacchaeus and took him in and loved him by having a conversation that brought transformation to the whole region. The story after story where Jesus stopped and chose love. And what would it look like if we're thinking about our lives as kingdom culture carriers, bringing life and transformation to wherever it is that we find ourselves, salt placed into a, a, a city in such a way where you see that your life really has impact, that we're postured with the lens of love. How do I get to love the one in front of me? Do I love my city? Do we love our city? Do we love our neighbors? Do we love our workplaces? Do we love our boss? All the fine life staff. Do we love? Is this the lens that, that causes us, motivates us to live in a different way? And so Jesus holds that in front of us. He says, can you be like me? Can you love like I love? And then finally, what about the lens of the supernatural? I feel like this is important. And I, I, there's so many things I could have put on that list. How do we posture ourselves? How do we, how do we participate in this story of bringing life to the world around us? And then I, I started to really um, just be convicted because there are, there are lots of really beautifully, wonderfully kind things that are happening around our city uh, by people who, who have engaged with the journey of just helping human beings around them. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. But there's something uniquely different about people who follow Jesus, people who have anchored their identity to being sons and daughters of God. And what makes us different is that we're not just kind people because we like humanity around us, but we actually carry the very inheritance of the kingdom of God. That actually when we, when we step out and we posture ourselves towards the city, the solutions aren't just, what can I do? But it's how can I bring the richness of the kingdom of heaven? How can I take what is, what is locked up in, the, in heaven, in, in the future, and pull it into reality? How do I bring heaven to earth? How do I bring healing where there's sickness right this is a supernatural dynamic of who i am how do i bring hope to those that are depressed how do i bring life where there's death this is the supernatural nature that goes beyond just are we good human beings doing good things while we're here on earth trying to just make a difference to understand that actually we're building a bridge to bring a significant transformation to people's lives and to those that can't see, that is sight. To those that can't hear, that is hearing. To those that are dead, it is life. And again, it moves us out of just being a well-being social club that's just trying to make a difference. And it connects us with, with not just what do we do, but who we are. The supernatural life, the normal Christian life that is marked by signs and wonders Signs of the powers of power of God that make us wonder. Who is he? And this is what we see on the life of Jesus, that he walked the earth not just preaching a message. His life was a powerful message. And it pointed to a reality of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what we get to hold. This is the bridge that we get to build from my life, from our collective lives, to the city around us.
This is how we get to speak to our city, through the lens of serving, through loving, and through supernatural. That actually we would take risk and faith with the people around us. That when they say, I'm sick, that we would say, well, can I pray for you? Like, is that, is that how we are postured? Is that how we're participating in the lives of people around us? See, thinking about those other religious constructs that were around when Jesus was walking the earth, all the other religious constructs around Jesus, they were trying to control the world or they were trying to abandon the world. But the creative minority, the way of Jesus, was to bring life through redemptive participation. And it came through how Jesus served. It came through how he loved. And it came through the beautiful, powerful signs that made people wonder, what is this? Who are you? And this is the way of Jesus. This is what we get to jump into. This is what we get to walk out of this building and and say, well, that's what my life gets to look like. I get to to build a bridge from, from my life, from our collective lives to the city, whether that be at the school gate tomorrow morning, whether that be in your workplace, with your friendship groups, where your passion is, where you're doing your hobby, at the gym, wherever you find yourself, what does it look like to build a bridge to bring life, to be a conduit for the love of God, to be a conduit for what his kingdom looks like? And we can all get started because we can all find and see the opportunities where we get to serve. We can all take those moments, those extra moments that cost us something, but it expresses love to the person in front of us. And actually, we can all start to begin to explore what risk and faith looks like. To say, God, I, I believe who you said you are, and I believe you'll do what you said you'll do. And so when I encounter darkness or sickness, and there is a there is a need for a miracle or something to break into that situation. I don't shrink away, but I, God, I, with faith and with conviction, say, I, I get to live the supernatural, normal Christian life. I get to pray for the sick. I get to believe that impossible things become a reality because God's in the mix. So as we keep journeying um, with this together, I want to encourage you, begin to start to take small steps. This week, simply just think, who, think, who can I pray for? Who needs God to break into their situation and circumstance? Who can I love and who can I serve? We're going to pray in just a second. I am, um, uh, we've gone on a couple of extra minutes, but um, it's, our, it's our 30th birthday um, next week. That's crazy, 30 years old. Uh, there's a few people in the room that were around at the very beginning of this journey. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun next week. Banning's going to be with us. Um, we're part of the Jesus Culture family. Um, it's a very small family, one church in Sacramento, one church in Manchester. Uh, but we love the fact that he would come over and just be like, I'm dropping everything, want to come celebrate with you. He's going to speak next week. If you've got friends that would love to come celebrate with us, I was in two weeks. What's happening next week? Oh, Jimmy and Gina, you want to come for that as well. Uh, yeah, thank you. I'm just really excited about everything that's going on at the moment. Jimmy and Gina with us next week. So sorry. Jimmy and Gina with us next week. Um, and then in two weeks, it's our 30th birthday. The reason why I get confused with when our birthday is is because we arbitrarily picked out a date. It's not actually our birthday. We just fixed it to a particular date because it works well in our calendar. We don't know when we started our church. 
No, it's just good to celebrate. It's just good to celebrate. Um, so I, I highlight those two things. Jimmy and Gina next week. Um, bring a friend. Bring a guest. We'd love to see people um, getting to hear uh, Jimmy and Gina. They are a beautiful couple who have given their yes to serving Jesus and loving uh, the most vulnerable, lost, isolated people on the planet and are committed to an orphanless, uh, an orphanless planet. And so uh, we love them. We're, we're fully in with everything that they're doing in Romania and Mexico and around the world. And so come and hear them next week. And then in two weeks' time, come celebrate with us. It's going to be a little different. It's going to be fun. We're going to have photo booths. We're going to have things for you to get involved in. So don't come to church thinking you're going to show up and leave. There'll probably be some form of cake-based something. Uh, but we're definitely wanting to, to get together and celebrate. All right, why don't you stand? I'm going to pray. If this morning that, uh, you know, the stuff I've been sharing, if, if that's you, if you know, you know I, I want to step more into the purpose and plan. I want my life to be postured and participate in a way that brings the beauty of the kingdom of heaven to the world around me. If, that, if that's you, if you just want more of that, why don't you put your hand on your heart? Because um, I just want to pray for you, commission you into that this morning. God, I, th- I thank you that you uh, invite us into your presence. You invite us into your family so that you get to fix and form and forge who you say we are. And I thank you from that place of, 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 of assigning us to yourself as your sons and your daughters, loved, precious, valued. It's from that place that you get to lead us into the beauty of what it is to really follow you, Jesus. We get to lay our lives down. We get to say to, yes to you every single day. And so this week, I commissioned this beautiful church family into loving the people around them really well. I commissioned this beautiful church family to serving the ones around them that, that are in need. And I bless this community to step into what it is to, to walk in risk and faith. To say, God, wherever there's something that's impossible, when you're around, nothing's impossible. So I pray that this, this week would be a, a, a journey of, of extravagance and adventure with you that we would see blind eyes open that we would see uh, people who are sick healed we'd see people come into brand new relationship with you jesus thank you that you call us and you love us and you've given us such beautiful purpose in life so this morning we say yes to you again in jesus name